Ephesians 5, 15 through 18. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray together, friends. Father, as we uh, spend our time together here today, we do desire that we would hear from you in your word. And we pray that you would have mercy on us as we've prayed multiple times today. The mercy that would let us hear your voice to know the work that you're doing in our hearts, to be indeed taught by you, challenged by you, made able to grow uh, in Christ by your grace through faith. Lord, you know how deeply, uh, again, flawed we so often are. You know how easily we fail you. You know how easily we sin. And we would ask you, Father, that you would teach us uh, today. Teach us to love you. Teach us to serve you. Teach us to walk with wisdom in the world. And that's what we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. You guys can be seated. You know, my family and I, we've been here in Las Vegas for five years. We actually just discovered, it was kind of funny, we, we looked up and all of a sudden we realized we had been here for five full years. Can you believe that? For some of you, you think, oh my goodness, it has felt like a lifetime. For others of you, you're like, oh my goodness, really, it's that, that soon. And, and it's been good. We've loved our time here. We have loved serving this church. We have loved, uh, again, just trying our best to, to please you, to care for you, to love you, and to be loved by you. We are grateful for that. And what, um, one of the things that we've learned, besides learning to love you guys, is we're trying to learn to love life in the desert. And today's a good day to illustrate that too, isn't it? Because here we are, we are in a day whose high downtown is supposed to be 115. It is a dry heat. But that's still stinking hot. The other thing that we've learned how to embrace since we've been here, which has been very interesting, has been hiking. You guys, how many of you have seen on Mitzi's Facebook pictures of us out in the canyons or in the mountains or, you know, wherever, just traipsing through the wilderness walking around? You guys have seen that? A couple of you have, yes. And, and we love it. We love being on the mountains and we love being in the canyons and we love, you know, just getting on the trails. It's a good thing. But, and this is the part that makes you uncomfortable, many people, when they hike with us, discover that it's not the same experience that they're used to. Because, see, not many of you are used to traipsing along a canyon rim with someone who can't see where he's going. And for some folks, that is an uncomfortable thing. Now, how do we do it? I have to trust my wife to make sure that she watches where I step. Right? You guys know the watch your step kind of thing, but I have to tr trust Mitzi to watch my step so that I don't, shall we say, mm, slip into oblivion. 
And as an unrelated side note, I just want you to know, I seldom go hiking with her if I believe she's upset with me <laughs> about a thing. It is, right? So, no, we, we, don't, we don't tend to do that. When, if I think she's mad, it's a good time for me to stay home. Now, in, in all truth, though, she is great. She, she doesn't. I've never, ever feared she's going to throw me off a cliff. She watches where we're going, and she knows because she knows that it is dangerous uh, not to know where we're going, not to watch where we're stepping when we're on a canyon rim. And the reason I say all that to you is to point out the idea of what we're going to see in our passage of Scripture for today. You see, in our passage for today, we're going to see that there is a real danger in front of you, Christian, if you're not careful where you walk. And see, God's not going to warn you. He's not warning you about how to be careful when you're walking on the edge of a canyon. Instead, God is warning you about how to be careful about where you walk in a dangerous spiritual world. So if you're a note taker, I want to give you four points today to talk about how to watch where you walk and how to walk in wisdom in the world. So I want you to be ready for those four points and we will get started. Fair enough? Verse 15. Point number one, walk in wisdom, not folly. Walk in wisdom, not folly. Look at verse 15. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Now, throughout the letter to the Ephesians, you guys know we've been in it for quite a while, Paul has used the language of walking to refer to how we live. In chapter 2, verse 10, Paul reminded us that God prepared good works for us to walk in long before he actually saved us. In chapter 4, verse 1, probably the most important verse or one of the most important verses in the book, he tells us that because of the gospel and all of its glories, you are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In chapter 4, verse 17, Paul warns us not to walk like the lost Gentiles do. Instead, in 5, verse 2, he tells us to walk in love like Jesus. And then, last week, we looked at chapter 5, verse 8, that was a command that tells us to walk as children of light and not as children of darkness like the world. And now God is going to warn us in his word that we are to look carefully how we walk. Look carefully how we walk. What's the point? He wants you to be careful because there is real danger that could be in front of you. That's important, by the way. Just recognizing that real danger does exist because that shows you that if you don't get it, Right. If you don't see the problem that could be in front of you, it is very, very possible that you could step somewhere that hurts you. You could step somewhere that does you real harm. And that's not a thing you want to do. You can live in a way that causes you pain. You can live in a way that gives other people pain. You can live in a way that that hurts you because you sin against God. Now, I want to be careful as I even start this by saying this. 
You know, Christians, don't you, that you can't live well enough to earn something from God, right? That doesn't happen. Neither, if you're a genuine believer, can you live poorly enough or make a poor enough choice to lose the grace of God given you in Christ. You know that's true too, right? But, listen, and this is important. I think you'll agree with me here. Living to please the Lord is what followers of Jesus do. Right? That's your job. So we want to watch out to make sure that the steps we take please him. All right. How are we to walk? It says here, walk not as unwise, but as wise. Walk in wisdom. Don't walk like a fool. And all through the Bible, we see the contrast, right, of the wise or the fool, like light versus dark, like good versus evil. Wisdom or folly are headed in totally different directions. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, speaking of wisdom, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is, is insight. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Psalm 14, verse 1, as well as two other verses in the Bible, begin with the line, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, Without us doing a big word study tracing the words wisdom and folly from Genesis all the way through Revelation, it is easy to understand what these words mean and what their implications are. It's obvious, biblically, right, that you want to be wise. You don't want to be a fool. And even on their surface, these words are positive and negative, right? You know, wise people apply knowledge well. Foolish people make dumb choices and they hurt themselves and they hurt other people. And you don't want to be a fool. You want to be wise. But let me ask you, from the proverb, from the Proverbs, what is it that marks a wise person? Wise people fear God. Wise people fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. Now, what does it mean to fear God? Don't overinterpret that word. This is not God saying that I want you to be so frightened of me that you hide from me and don't want anything to do with me. That's not what God's saying. Fearing the Lord is to believe in the Lord and to properly respect the Lord. Fearing God certainly includes having a proper fear of his wrath and his judgment if people rebel against him. But in the simplest terms, the fearing of God, to fear God, is to believe that God exists and that believing in God existing, you also believe God is not someone to trifle with. You know what I'm talking about? Being foolish, of course, includes making bad choices and doing dumb stuff, but the Proverbs tell us that the fool is the opposite of the wise. Psalm 14.1 says, again, the fool, his defining mark is that the fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool doesn't believe in or respect the Lord. You remember Pharaoh in Exodus 5.2? Pharaoh said to Moses, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. How well did that work out for the Pharaoh, by the way? Not super well, right? He brought the wrath of God on himself and on his nation because he was so foolish as to say there is no God. 
At least I don't believe in the Lord and I won't respect the Lord and I won't fear the Lord. So stick with me here, simply understanding these terms. Walking in wisdom is walking in the fear of or the respect of the Lord. Walking in folly is to walk in such a way as to ignore or disrespect the Lord. And yes, these words have bigger meanings than just that. We know this, right? We know that these words have bigger, larger meanings than just uh, the fearing of God or the not fearing of God. The truth is, the truth is, we can apply these words right here at their most basic foundations. God warns you to be careful how you walk. God says to you, watch out. God says to you, keep your eyes open. God says to you, look carefully. And then God says to you, you can walk in one of two ways. You can walk wise or you can walk foolish. And then the application from the Proverbs and the Psalms will tell you, you're either going to walk fearing God or you're going to walk as the fool who says in his heart, there is no God. And this is the point by now that many of you are going, this is very easy, Travis. I like this sermon. This doesn't convict me at all. Right? Because here you are in church or you're watching us on our Facebook live stream feed. And if you're watching us or if you're right here, you're not saying in your heart there is no God, right? You're not doing that. I mean, I doubt very seriously that many atheists are hearing my voice right now. Though I'll tell you this, if you're an atheist and you're hearing my voice, I am glad to have you. I welcome you. I want you to hear this stuff. But, let me challenge us a little bit. The command is to watch how you do what? Look at the scripture with me and talk to me because apparently we're casual for a moment here. Look at the scripture. Be careful how you walk. Do you see it there in the verse? Be careful how you watch how you walk. This was not a command about your overarching worldview or your philosophy. It's a command that says that you Christians can walk like wise people or walk like unwise people. You as a believer need to be careful to watch your steps so that you do not walk like a fool. So now comes my question for you to consider as you go through your day, your ordinary day, your day-to-day -day life, do you walk wise or do you walk foolish? Do you live like a God-fearer in your actions? Or do your actions look more like the, the actions and attitudes of a non-believer? In every aspect of your life, in every step of your life, Christian, do you live like one who loves God? Or do you live like somebody who does not believe in God at all? How many of you have ever heard the term a practical Atheist. You ever heard someone would call the practical atheist? What we mean when we say that is that someone might be a believer in the Lord Jesus, but for a time, for a moment, he or she lives practically in the same way as a person who doesn't believe in God at all. And this is where I'm saying, watch how you walk, because you can be a believer in your head. You can say all the creeds. And in your worldview, you may have it just right, but on any given moment and on any given day, you can still need to be sure that you're living step by step as one who knows the Lord. So again, think with me. You hear that a coworker of yours has contracted COVID. How you respond will look either like a Christian 
or an atheist. Do you see what I'm talking about? You can look like a believer. You can look like a non-believer. And I'm not pretending here, well, that means if I'm a believer, I'm not careful. Of course, you can be careful as you need to be. But do you respond when you hear that someone has this virus? Do you respond in such a way that you believe in God and know that he's sovereign? Or do you let worry and fear for yourself make you look just like the lost person who lives next door? Let's try another example. I want you to imagine that a person who does not know you suddenly was able to see exactly how you spend all of your money. Which, given the state of the internet right now, probably someone who doesn't know you does see how you spend all of your money. What does your budget say is important to you? Do you live for the glory of God? Would somebody watching your account say, that person is interested in the Lord? Or do you live for your hobbies, for your comforts, for your leisure? Because it's possible your budget could make you look like a fool and not like the wise because your budget does not show that you live for eternity more than today. Or how about this one? How about this one? What gives you personally your worth? What makes you a person who has worth? Where do you get your value? Do you live as though your personal worth is tied up with your accomplishments? Do you live as though you're only a person who matters if you climb the corporate ladder or get the nicer car or live in the nicer house or wear the nicer clothes or take the nicer vacation? Do you live because my only value is if people praise me. If people don't praise me, my life stinks. Because these are living like the lost. If your value comes from the praise of men, you do not live like a believer. You're living like a fool. Does that make sense? To live like a believer is to live with a deep and abiding hunger to hear the Lord say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You can be a believer in the Lord And you can live your day-to-day like a practical atheist. You can be a believer in the Lord and you can live as some people used to be a a deist, right? Pretending that God must exist, but he just sort of wound us up and let us go and he doesn't get involved. You can live saying that God is your number one, but then you might never change how you function to make it look different than you would function if you thought God were a million miles away. Because don't you know, Christian, that you can ignore God when you worry? You can ignore God when you relax. Oh, I'm, I'm resting now, so I don't need to worry about God. You can ignore God when you're on the job or when you make decisions or when you talk to your family members or at any other time. I think the way Paul says it's actually pretty darn helpful to us. Watch, watch how you walk. Watch your step. Tomorrow, watch your step. Do your steps show you to be wise and a God-fearer? Or do you look like somebody who walks with God at the church, but then you're pretty much only going to meet with him again next week so long as no better option comes up? Christian, ask yourself, is how I do all that I do indicating that I walk as one under under the eye in the care of the Lord? Make your thought, make every thought, make every choice, make every action and acknowledge the Lord. Walk in wisdom 
not folly. Second point. Live for God in evil days. Live for God in evil days. It was, first one was walk in wisdom, not folly. One of, way you, one of the ways you do that, you live for God in evil days. 15 again says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And then verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So now Paul's pointing out to us that as we live in this age, we need to take action to live wisely. You've got to watch your step by making the most of your time, making the most of the age in which you live. Now the Greek concept behind the phrase making the best use there, how many of you have a translation that doesn't say making the best use of the time, but actually says redeeming the time? Any of you got one of those? Yeah. Same word, same concept, same family. Both are right, by the way. But this is the concept of a ransom or a redemption. What does it mean to redeem something? It means to rescue it by paying a price for it. And here, we're supposed to live wisely. How? By redeeming the particular age or time in which we live. Now here's the question, why would we need to think about the age in which we live? Why would we need to take special care? I think the answer is pretty plain, don't you? The days, the age in which we live are evil. How do we know that? If you have your Bibles, again, stay, keep your finger in Ephesians. We'll come back here, but flip to Matthew 24, would you? Matthew chapter 24. Because I think in Matthew 24, especially at the beginning, Jesus gives a descriptor, a set of descriptors of the age in which we will live from his departure, his ascension into heaven, until his return. Start at verse 3 in Matthew 24. And we're going to think about redeeming our age because it's evil. You can tell me if this sounds like our evil age. Verse 3 says, as Jesus, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see to it that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Our age, Christians, is going to be marked by people who claim to be the Christ but are not. There will be false religious leaders, people who claim to be sent by God, people who may claim to be God himself, and they will lie to people and they will lead people astray. Does that sound like something that could happen in our age? Verse 6, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for these must take place, but the end is not yet. Our age will be marked with a hunger for conquest People who desire to do destructive things, there will be wars and people rumbling for wars. Does that sound like our age? Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There will be diseases that come along with those famines. There will be earthquakes. There will be natural disasters that occur and disrupt the world Verses 8 and 9, all these are but the beginnings of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So followers of Jesus in the age Jesus is speaking of will find themselves persecuted. Sometimes it'll be harsh words. Other times it'll be social shunning. It'll be violence. It'll be imprisonment, or it will be death. 
which will be the punishment for those who simply follow Jesus and will not embrace the ways of the world. Verse number 10, then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Jesus says in this age that's happening, many people who claim that they are Christians will, during the dark times, turn away from the faith and they will turn against the faithful. Can you imagine that happening? Can you imagine a society becoming so harsh against Christians that other people who are only claiming to be Christians will suddenly go after those who really are Christians? Verse 11, and many false prophets will arrive and lead many astray. Again, false teachers who are going to jump on that bandwagon of, of the difficult social situation. They're going to convince other people to turn away from the faith. Maybe they'll even try to make people think, think that the best way to preserve Christianity is to not cling tightly to everything that the Bible says. They would say, hey, hey, we don't want the church to become irrelevant, so let me tell you the verses of Scripture we can ignore so society will still like us, and maybe they'll worship at least a little bit. You guys can't imagine that happening today, can you? Verse number 12, and because lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. There's an age in which the time is dark and the rebellion of people against the law and the way of God is stronger and clearer and the love of mankind grows cold. In this age, what you will see is that people will become more cruel, more heartless, quicker to violence, able to tolerate harshness and ugliness and nastiness more than we've ever seen before. They will, they will, they will do things that we used to think as a society would be intolerable. I don't know, what do you think? Does that sound like some age far off? Paul said we are to make the most of or redeem or ransom the time, the age, because the days we live in are evil and the things Jesus said would come, they've been happening in the world from the first century through the 21st century. There is a darkness that is part of the age between the ascension of Jesus Christ and his return. But let me ask you, Speaking of redeeming the time, did Paul say, therefore, hide, give up, be discouraged, just hope Jesus gets you out of this mess? No, he said, redeem the time. He said, go after the time. He said, buy back the time. He said, take hold of it. Why? Listen to what Jesus said in the same breath as he tells the disciples about the days to come. Look at verses 13 and 14 of Matthew 24. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. What is the church going to do in a dark age? True Christians are going to endure, true Christians are going to overcome. Not only will Christians endure, but we will preach. Y'all, it's going to be your job to preach to a world that hates you. We will take the gospel, we will take the good news of Jesus to every corner of the globe. And you know what will happen? In this same dark age, the church will grow and people will be saved. And all of the people, all of the people who, who, who God will take the gospel to, all of the people God has chosen will be saved. There is no person God is going to lose. 
And all of this, too, will happen. The spread of the church around the globe will happen before Jesus returns. And the days and the age will be evil before Jesus returns. Now, let me stop and speak real quick. If you hear me today and you don't know Jesus, you need the forgiveness of God. Christians, would you agree that that's true for everybody who doesn't know Jesus? They need the forgiveness of God. And I, like all Christians, am authorized, get this, to freely offer the forgiveness of God to you. You and I are sinners against God. We deserve God's judgment. And Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth to be our Savior. And all people who will entrust their souls to Jesus, turning away from sin, surrendering to Jesus in faith, all of those people will be saved. And so I would urge you, cry out to Jesus today to find the forgiveness of God. That invitation is for anybody, and I would love to talk to any of you more about it, okay? Now, Christian, would you agree that we live in a dark time? I think it's true, right? I think it's true. Is it, the, is it as dark as it will get, or is it, a, it is, a, is it as dark as it's ever been? I don't know. But there's plenty of darkness and evil in our age, isn't there? Our lives in the United States show us that we are facing a darker, crueler country than we've known. The Word of God is under attack in our borders. The ways of God are mocked and ridiculed, and followers of the ways of God are being publicly shamed. Those who support biblical causes are victims of, I don't know, what's the right word for it? They call it, some people are politically calling it cancel culture, where if you don't sign on, we're going to shut you down, we're going to make you lose your job. That does happen. And there is no guarantee from the Lord, Christians in America, that God is going to step in and change this particular country. He could let it fall. So what do we do? What's the word say? We redeem the time. We make the most of the time. We pay the price to do the best we can do in the age in which we live. Instead of hiding, we live boldly. Instead of running away, we preach. We pray. We follow Jesus. We look for the opportunity to take the gospel to all of the people. We believe the Lord when the Lord tells us that the gospel is going to be preached to all nations. We believe the Lord when he tells us that those who endure to the end will be saved. We believe the Lord when he tells us that he will build his church and the gates of hell itself shall not prevail against it. And we believe the Lord enough to take action. We will redeem the time by pointing others to the Redeemer. Jesus is the only hope for a cruel, dark world. We will love Jesus. We will serve Jesus. We will care for the church, the people of Jesus. And we will tell others about Jesus. And we will not fritter away our age in things that do not matter. We will give our lives for the honor of the Lord who saved our souls. That's what we do. So live for God in evil days. And you will be walking with wisdom in a dark world. Third point. You still awake with me, by the way? I'm so glad. It brightens my day. Verse 17. Find the will of God in God's word. Find the will of God in God's word. Verse 17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to know the will of God. 
If you've been a Christian for much time at all, I bet you've either said that or heard somebody say it, right? You ever heard anybody say, I just wish I knew what God's will was? Knowing the will of God is something Paul tells us is part of how to walk wisely in the world. There's a few things we can learn from that verse right away, right? First, God has a will. Did you know that? Good. Second, God wants you to know his will. You with that too? Would it surprise you if I told you also God wants you to do it? There we go. This is deep stuff, Christians. Now, there are, Christ- there are mistakes, though, that Christians often make when we think about the will of God. Now, here's the thing. If I'm going to talk to you about the will of God and really kind of get into it, it needs a whole sermon all by itself. Maybe a whole class, but at least a whole sermon. So, Lord willing, we're going to revisit this verse next week to see the answer to the question of what is God's will and how do I know God's will and how do I do God's will. But I will give you the conclusion of that sermon now. Okay? I'll give you the conclusion, then next week I'll argue for it. But I'll only do that if you promise to come back and listen. Is that fair? Because otherwise I'm not telling. So you will, you will come back and listen? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Maybe. Let's see what the conclusion is, right? God's will, which we are commanded to know and obey, is found in God's holy word. Deuteronomy 29, 29, which is a super helpful verse, says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all of the words of this law. See, God has secret plans for your future. Did you know that God has your life totally mapped out? Yeah, but guess what God says about that? When you say, God, what are your plans for the rest of my life? You know what God tells you? Who was in Sunday school this morning? Nunya, that's right. And if you don't know what that means, that means it's none your business. God says, yes, I've got things I'm sovereignly going to do with the rest of your days. And God also says, those are mine. I'm not telling. It's not your job to find out God's ultimate step-by-step sovereign plan for you. Instead, God says to you that you are to know the things that he has revealed his commands, his law, his standards, and he wants you to know those commands, those laws, and those standards, and he wants you to abide by those things. And so, Christian, you are to do the will of God. And you say, Travis, how do I do the will of God? You should focus yourself like a laser beam on the word of God. Read the scripture, study the scripture, pray through the scripture, faithfully apply the scripture. As you see the commands of God and God's word, ask yourself, how does the command of God apply to me and my situation? Ask other Christians around you to help you to apply the command of God in your situation. And then obey the command of God faithfully. And if you do that, you'll be doing the will of God. Now, I'm going to guess that you've got some questions though, right? There's other things that people say when they talk about the will of God and how do I deal with the will of God in my personal life? We'll address it next week if the Lord will allow. But for now, Paul says, don't be a fool. Don't live like somebody who says in his heart there is no God. And how do you not live like a fool? You learn the will of God. How do you do that? You direct your life by the commands of God revealed in the word of God. So find the will of God in God's word. Okay? That's a little, that's like one of those movie trailers for next week's sermon, okay? Are you going to come back? Okay, I'm so glad. Or at least watch online. 
or maybe download the podcast. All right, fourth point, last point today. Be filled with the Spirit and not with sin. Be filled with the Spirit, not with sin. Verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. All through Scripture, God has spoken very clearly regarding the issue of drunkenness. Anybody got a debate about that? The text tells us here, to be drunk is debauchery. That is an ugly, wasteful, destructive evil. That's what that word means. And those who are given to drunkenness dishonor God. They hurt people around them. They damage their bodies and often waste their lives. If I'm going to speak clearly about the issue of alcohol, though, I also have to say a couple things, a couple things. There are many believers who have reasons that they have chosen never to drink alcohol. I bet you've met some, right? Some of you may be those guys. It may be because of health reasons. It may be because of bad past experiences. Maybe it's due to a personal struggle with addiction. Listen to me very clearly. There is no problem at all with any Christian who chooses for himself or for his family that alcohol is off the table. So never ever, Christians, are you going to hear me tell other Christians, hey, I think you ought to start drinking. Is that fair? Second, the Bible also does not say that Christians may not ever drink alcohol. That's not a command in the word. The first miracle of Jesus in the word of God was to turn water to wine at the wedding feast in John chapter 2. Paul commanded Timothy, use wine to settle his stomach. There are many verses in the Bible that speak positively about wine or drink and its heart-gladdening effects. So I'm not about to say to you that no Christian may ever drink. There is no biblical prohibition against a drink or careful, thoughtful use of wine. But the Bible is very clear that drunkenness at any point is a sin. And this requires any Christian who would drink alcohol to be very intentionally careful and watch how you walk, right? Watch your step. Be wise, not unwise. Believe that God's with you, not apart from you. Be careful that you never drink to the extent that you are under the influence of alcohol. And this requires wisdom. It requires wisdom regarding how much you drink. It requires wisdom regarding when you drink. It it requires wisdom when you think about how strong a drink you drink. Christian, God doesn't forbid drink. But God demands that God be your number one. God demands that you never drink until you lose control. God demands that you never drink until you participate in sin. He demands that you not fog your brain with drugs or alcohol so that your obedience to God's commands or clear thinking are compromised. And if you're struggling with the issue of drunkenness, I urge you, seek help. Come talk to me. 
reach out to another church elder, reach out to a medical professional who can help you deal with the struggle before it's too late. So, is that clear enough, guys? Is drinking alcohol a sin for every Christian? Of course not. Is drunkenness always a sin? Yes. If you're a Christian, you're not allowed to be drunk. Fair enough? And you've got to make wise decisions as to how you best honor the Lord. Now, you know what the best thing about all that is? The issue of a Christian response to alcohol has very little to do with the intent of this verse. Drunkenness in this verse is a foil. It's an opposite comparison to what God wants you to do. God says, don't be drunk with wine, but if you're going to watch how you walk in a dark age, you are to be filled with the Spirit. I want you to see the comparison here, right? Think about drunkenness as being filled with wine under the influence of alcohol. A drunk person has his thinking or her behavior modified by the influence of the alcohol in their system, right? That's sin. But in contrast, Paul says you are to be under the influence of and changed by the presence of the Spirit of God in your life because the Spirit of God indwells every believer. So in the letter to the Ephesians, what's Paul said about the Spirit of God? All who are believers are sealed by the Spirit of God as a guarantee of our inheritance. Chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. All believers have access to God through the one Holy Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 18. The Spirit has revealed to God's apostles the mystery of the gospel that Jews and Gentiles are now one new people in Christ and we don't split based on ethnic distinctions. Chapter 3, verse 5. The Spirit strengthens Christians in our inner being. Chapter 3, verse 16. The Spirit brings unity in the body of Christ. 4, verses 3 and 4. And we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God, chapter 4, verse 30. Now we see you are to be filled with the Spirit. You are to be influenced by the Spirit in how you think and how you act. In the way, if you think about it, again, a drunk is influenced by and changed by wine in a negative way. You and I are to be influenced by or changed by the Spirit of God in a God-honoring way. Well, how do you let yourself be led by the Spirit? Well, we're going to see the answer to that question in a couple of weeks when we really dig into 19 through 21. So you've got to promise to come back for that too, okay? But can I tell you again, a little secret. Just between me and you, don't tell the guys watching on Facebook, just you and me, okay? It ain't complicated. How do you allow yourself to be influenced by God's Spirit? You read and study and memorize the word of God that the Spirit of God inspired. That's the best way for you to start being filled with the Spirit. You worship God together with God's people. You obey the commands of God and His word from day to day. You spend time in prayer. You seek the Lord. You set your mind on things that honor the Lord. You watch how you walk. You make it so that every step of every day is aimed at eternity and your, your heart and your soul and your desire is placed on forever with the Lord. You're focused on the God who made you. God says, be careful how you walk. God says, Walk your, watch your step on the really dangerous ground that's around you. Here's the question. How do you walk like a wise person and not like a fool? You walk like a believer, not like a non-believer, not like a practical atheist. You walk redeeming the time, 
knowing that you live in an evil age. You walk seeking the will of God and God's holy word. You walk filled with the spirit of God rather than focusing and filling your life with sin. And I will say this one last time. If you're not yet under God's grace, come to Jesus today. You cannot be saved by being a good person or by living well. You can only be saved by God's grace when you run to Jesus for mercy. Let's bow together and let's pray, friends. Lord, we again come to you seeking your favor, seeking your grace. And we have heard you say in your word that we are to walk wise. We're not to walk like fools. We're not to walk like those who act as though you're not there. We are not to walk as those who are given to something other than you, be it, be it wine, be it political discussions. We're focused on you and you alone. God, I would pray, I would pray that you would help us all to walk wise. Help us to surrender to your word. Help us to redeem the time. Help us to find your will in your word. Help us to love you and your word more than our sin. Help us to be filled with, led by, influenced by the spirit of God in us because we open our lives to him because we're open to your word. God, make us just the most word-based, God-loving people we could ever be. Lord, I know a lot of these things could bring up hard thoughts a lot of these things could bring up places we've failed and failed miserably. God, I pray that you will take our lives and I pray that you will start growing them into lives that please you more and more. That's our prayer in Christ's holy name. Amen.